Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hi everybody, welcome to this latest ITAM Review Podcast and today I'm joined by two fantastic excellent guests alongside me and we've got a wonderful topic to talk about so the topic is everyone's favorite thing data and the the management thereof tracking etc and we'll get into some really good details on that but today's podcast is uh, in conjunction with usu and my two guests so first from usu we've got robbie afternoon Robbie good afternoon thanks for having me and then also we have got wonderful esteemed ITAM industry extraordinaire Gillian McHugh welcome Gillian thank you and thank you for the delightful introduction <laughs> no problem at all um so both Robbie and Gillian will be um talking today about their experiences their thoughts, their hopes and dreams for ITAM data. And hopefully all of you listening will, I'm sure you will find several parts that resonate with you and your experiences. And then we will be sharing um, you know, thoughts and insights, which will hopefully help you along your own journey. That's always the idea. Um, so, and I guess I should probably, just in case there's anyone who's not worked out who I am, introduce myself. Um, Rich from ITAM Review. So with that, as I say, the, the topic is data. That's quite a, a broad topic. Um, so we're going to get into it in a little bit more detail. And I think the best at the scene for, for that is the, um, the, the, the ITAM professional uh, end user amongst us, which is, is you, Gillian. So if you could just kind of set the scene, talk about, you know, what what the, the, the topic is and your experiences there, that would be a great place to start. Sure, I'd be happy to. So, um, you know, I've I've been doing software asset management for, I don't know, I think almost 15 years now. And so um, I've worked in different companies doing different types of things. One was um, in the healthcare industry. So of course, I'm used to the very heavily regulated and you know risk averse type of industries. And then I've also um, gone kind of the opposite end of the spectrum and worked at a software development company where you know speed to market and innovation um, are highly prized. And so you know they're they're very different spectrums um kind of kind of different ends of the spectrum I'll say and that you know I think I I think that kind of lets me kind of speak to the data different qualities and different things kind of across the board and hopefully it's applicable to anyone no matter what type of uh industry they find themselves in um so with going through and doing a SAM program one of the things that I've always found is that there are always data quality issues because until you've had a SAM program where you're trying to actually go through and look at the data with a, a software asset management lens, 
no one really has before. And so, you know, it, it's in my experience, it's often that the SAM program is kind of the first time um, a lot of these separate data points are actually merged together. And that can cause all kinds of havoc and, you know, misalignments and people questioning things and wondering why certain things say um, what they do. And so um, I've, I've kind of gone through and had to deal with my fair share of pain points on the data, data quality issues. And I've tried to go through and develop some different things along the way over the years to help. And so I just thought I'd kind of share and, and talk about that. Awesome. I like the sound of that. I think already people listening, you know, will be nodding along and going, yep, I know exactly what you mean. Kind of every conference that, that we do, every conversation we have with uh, with ITAM professionals, you know, it come data, trustworthy data, quality of, etc., is always a, a key part of the conversation. Um, so, so Robbie, so li listening to what Julie, uh, sorry, Gillian was going to say there, um, is there anything that you would add from your perspective as to um, what what you want to get into on today's podcast? No, she she brought up the good points, right? That um, these are data driven projects. These are data driven activities, and uh, most organizations have data. It's just not formulated in the right manner. You know, they have a CMDB, but they're missing certain pieces. And, and ITAM really just brings all of that together um, around the hardware assets, the software assets, the network devices, the cloud-based assets, the user accounts, and all of that put together is, is what the ITAM professional is seeking and then providing back to the company. So she's absolutely correct that, you know, everyone struggles with this and we see that at, at um, events as well. And, and those are important points. Um, that, you know, hopefully she's going to bring some of that insight in and I can add in what I've seen, you know, other customers do because it is a common struggle, um, both on the commercial software side, the hardware side, as well as the licensing side. Um, so, and, and now it's changed with cloud-based, right? The, the, the data acquired, the data needed is a little bit different than we saw on on-premise. Um, and then adding in, you know, artificial intelligence and, and chat GPT and other areas, how does that affect what we're doing in ITAM? So, you know, we'll address all of those and hopefully get to speak to some of those points throughout this. So, yeah, I, I agree with what she said. Awesome. So plenty to talk about then, Gillian. Um, So I guess from my perspective, you know, you touched on there being several different data points and some programs often being the first time they've tried to, to, to come together. Um, I, I guess a good place to start would be, you know, in your experience, you know, what some of those different data points are and some of the difficulties that, that you found. I think that that's probably where most people will find themselves beginning. Oh, okay. So, um, so, you know, one of the things that I've, I guess it's understandable, but I've always found it amusing personally is, you know, when you start to reach out to folks and let the infrastructure people and the, you know, network people and whomever else know that, hey, I need data for the software asset management program, kind of the first initial response is, well, I'm the hardware person. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> you know? um, <laughs> And it's like, well, because that's where the software lives. And so, um, and then, you know, just kind of touching on that and helping them to understand that, you know, some of them already do, but maybe not to the extent that um, software is often measured based on the way that the hardware is 
configured in the environment and you know details about the hardware in of itself. So, you know, on the IT side for discovery, you know, a SAM person always needs to start with the base layer, which is that hardware piece or, you know, the users who are authorized in the system and the devices that are authorized in the system. So, um, you know, just kind of starting at that level um, is where I've always found myself at any rate. And one of the things that I've done whenever I'm starting up a program or sometimes periodically where, you know, kind of blips show up in the data where there's oddities, I always try to kind of reach across those different team members and over the years ended up facilitating because let's be honest, I'm not the expert of those things. I understand the output that I need and a lot of things about it. I can have good conversations, but I'm certainly not the one who's doing that for my job and configuring those types of things. So I'm really just kind of facilitating those discussions with those different individuals. And, you know, it's surprising. There's often times where, you know, the person who's running Active Directory knows that backwards and forwards, but perhaps didn't always sync up with the person from, you know, the SCCM as an example, or um, perhaps the CMDB data or something like that. And, and, it's it's funny because a lot of times when they get down into, you know, hey, this is what your data is showing me. Is this right? Does this look right to you? And there's initial things that's, you know, people are always, of course, saying, well, there's not enough servers or there's too many or these users shouldn't be on there. And why is your system showing us all these, you know, things that aren't in our system? Well, that's because pulling all of these different disparate data sources together sometimes highlights the fact that there's differences in them. And so, you know, I, I always try to say, look, this isn't my data. I'm, I'm just consolidating the data you're giving me and linking this together. And so once they kind of understand that, then they start to go through and kind of have those conversations. And it's surprising to me, I guess, how often we'll find out that there's a certain timing, you know, when when Active Directory might fully retire and, and drop off a device versus when SCCM does. Or, you know, and then maybe Active Directory is repopulating devices into SCCM, even though they've been decommissioned. Well, then it shows up in my software asset management data as, hey, there's a server over here that you need to worry about. Um, so, you know, it's it's sometimes just facilitating those really good discussions and kind of getting people to start looking at those details. And unfortunately, it often requires the analysis on the SAM part to point out where those details are and kind of get them to have those discussions. But I've always found them to be very fruitful. So um, I don't know if anybody has any questions so far. No, and I, I can, you know, you're absolutely correct. And and part of that IT, IT asset management process is really understanding those data sources and being using that data to identify gaps, right? Everyone thinks it's all about collecting data and, and using that data, but it's also identifying gaps. And when it comes to IT asset management, it's really essential to track a wide range of, of items to, to make sure that that organization's IT resources are effectively managed, secured, you know, compliant with license agreements, um, and, and it really breaks down to, you know, like you said, hardware assets, you have to know serial numbers, asset tags, configuration, warranty, and information. You want to know the number of cores, the number of CPUs, you have to know certain elements depending on the software. 
you know, and then you look at the software assets and operating systems and the productivity softwares. There's a lot of different software that you're tracking in there. And then it goes beyond when you start looking at the cloud-based assets. Now you're looking at subscription and services, uses, usage metrics. So that's a different data source. User accounts that you spoke about, they may not all come from Active Directory. We have a lot of customers using other tools now, Okta or things that are security-based that manage access. And those are better data sources um, than others. So data sources are extremely important. Typically on on the on the um, the commercial side, you know what you have installed, what you're using on the on the the entitlement side or on the licensing contracts, it's just harder to find that information. But typically, you know where to look or you know where some of that is, and, and it's not you know a data source other than the procurement team. So being able to know those data sources, connect to those data sources, and then identify gaps. Is, is really a, a big piece of an ITAM program that you really need to look at if you're getting into that. And then you start talking about lifecycle information. That's where you need then, you know, the catalog or something that's going to give you that information that then allows you to see out of support software and tracking it that way. So keeping that accurate and up to date um, is really critical for a, an effective IT asset management um, project and really being able to know where that data comes from and be able to shift or change if need be is is really important. So yeah, I agree, Jillian, what you what you said there and, and you identified kind of what you need to go through during that process. Yeah. And you know, to um just kind of tacking on to to a point you'd made, um, once you kind of get all your data sources looking pretty good, they never stay that way. You know, there it needs like a constant maintenance. And so yeah. um even when I've had the pleasure of working with folks that are very good at their jobs and really diligent about maintaining the data, you know, my department's the only one who's looking at it with the SAM lens. And so there's sometimes different things that we focus on and notice as a gap that maybe somebody else hasn't noticed yet. It hasn't shown up as an issue to them. And so one of the things that we've done, um, and we I've utilized the USU software to do this, um, we've just created some dashboards within our tool. And there's a couple of different ones I have, but they're all the intent of them is just to kind of watchdog, I call them the usual suspects, um, kind of the typical things that kind of go out of whack. And so ones that I like to set up um, are on the hardware side are things like orphaned VMs, you know, where the VM, I, I know it's a VM, but I don't know which host it's sitting on, um, you know, because there's a misalignment on the data there in some way, shape or form. Um, there's some other ones that I like, um, you know, missing CPUs counts, missing device types. Um, so some, because some of those things really matter with knowing what your core factors should be or knowing what, um, you know, knowing which license model you need to apply or, um, being able to fully calculate because, Hey, if you know where the VMs sit, perhaps you could optimize that in a different way and be able to save some licensing costs. So I, I literally just created a dashboard um, that tracks just kind of overall things like hilariously, number of servers that are showing up today. Because every once in a while, there'll be some crazy spike or dip in it. And we can just reach out and say, hey, <laughs> is this expected? And sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, we just decommissioned, you know, a site that had like a satellite site that had some really old servers there and things. So those all fell off. Great. Um, other times we'll reach out and they'll say, oh, no, I'm not sure why that's the case. Let me check, you know, and then they'll come back to me and say, 
hey, turns out some process didn't run last night and we're we're working on that. Or, you know, there, there's a, a myriad of, of responses that it can run the gamut really. But um, I found that if we can just have some of those kind of base things that, like I said, I call them the usual suspects where are my number of servers correct? You know, are my, or reasonably correct? You know, does the data look similar to me? Um, nothing's ever going to be perfect, but if I, my orphaned VMs and things like that are really low in count, well, then I can pretty confidently run my analysis and not be too terribly concerned about missing that kind of information. Um, and so that's some things that we've done where we literally have a dashboard that's set up and we just look at it every couple of days to see if there's anything that's looking a bit odd that we might need to reach out to people for. And then of course that helps us whenever there's a larger thing, like perhaps an audit or one of our more um, critical uh, software companies that we're renewing with, it's maybe a bit more, um, a bit higher on the spend and we're trying to keep it really tight. Well, then we can look at those and we can constantly work with the team to really get the data as tight as we can before we do that renewal or before we do um, the audit, before we, have to turn over anything that outside of the company where it matters more, you know, so and, we found that really those, And those um, data quality dashboards, you know, that, that you create, those are very popular amongst um, companies because it does just that, right? It allows you to see where you might have some gaps and, you know, creating different dashlets is, you know, what most companies do, depending on what they're tracking. And you brought up another good point on compliance, right? You need to know certain elements about the hardware for you to be able to do a compliance position. And it goes beyond that, even in some instances where you can optimize and, and you touched on that. And, and I was just working with a customer and they were doing Red Hat, so RHEL, and um, they needed to know about all their virtual infrastructure because they have that six to one rule where you can, if there's six virtual off of one, you can use a, an enterprise license rather than a standalone. And just by looking at the data a different way and having that um, virtualization information, they were able to change their whole approach to licensing RHEL and reduce how many licenses they need. And to do all of that work, you need that data. And, and you need to know if it's good. If there is VMs not reporting you know, their hosts, you need to know that because if RHEL comes in or if Red Hat comes in, they're gonna say, that's a standalone device. You need a standalone license. You can't apply another one. You know, So it, it goes beyond compliance and it really goes to being able to optimize your environment. So those are all very good points. And I'm glad you're tracking it that way because um, that's the way you should be tracking it, right? Is to understand that data quality and then go beyond that to, to be able to do your job. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a, it makes an incredible difference. And actually kind of jumping to the other side of the fence on the data, um, we also have a procurement related um, data dashboard because um, over the years when we first started to implement, you know, SAM programs, a lot of times there are, um, I think we have all seen my favorite example, which is, you know, software for a million dollars for 12 months and that's all you've got on the invoice. And it may reference a PO or a contract, and maybe that's not even, you know, in the systems that you're trying to find. And so you literally just get this like million dollar invoice for software. You're like, what's that? It's software. Mm, great. You know, so it's it's actually 15 different software titles that all have different, you know, methods of measurement and they all have different quantities, but we have 12 months of software. For a million dollars. So, um, and I've seen that 
shockingly often, but um, but at any rate, you know, there's there's varying degrees of um, data completeness, and there's I don't know six to ten fields that are just incredibly critical to be able to capture to be able to monitor your licenses correctly, and so. Um, that's one of the things that we've set up on the procurement side, because whenever you're first implementing that, you know, the procurement folks are already going about their jobs, trying to get all of those different data elements that they're aware of to can tie it out and all the terms and conditions and legal reviews and security reviews and things that they've got a lot of responsibility for. But until someone really tries to manage the licenses themselves, a lot of times that example that I just shared and plenty of others doesn't really show up you know, they don't, they're not as noticeable um, to folks because, well, everything else is captured someplace and they feel like it's kind of good enough. Um, it's not until you're actually trying to put that SAM lens on it that it really starts to highlight where those gaps are. And so um, we went through, and in, again, in the USU dashboard, you know, we went through and we pulled out as much information as we could to be able to import things into the tool for licenses but then we kind of use the clearing statuses and things in the tool to be able to mark, you know, what information was missing. So it might have been a SKU, or it might have been um, a metric, or it might have been a contract, you know, that that was missing or something. And so we kind of use those clearing statuses to monitor what was missing. And then I set up a dashboard around that to be able to report out on data quality, and that helped me to drive um, changes in the processing processes and consistency, the training that people implemented on the procurement side up front, so that those types of things were better captured and better recorded um, more consistently. So, um, you know, and, and now I can just kind of monitor it. Have you gotten to the point now where procurement comes to you before ordering licenses to say, hey, the team says they need, you know, 50 standard licenses. Does that make sense or should we get enterprise? Are you at the point now within your organization where um, procurement reviews that with you before orders are made or do you kind of catch it afterwards and say, well, we, we don't need any more standard licenses, right? We got a bunch left over or we need some more of this license rather than this one. This is the better cost option. Even though it's not as discounted, we don't need as many. Have you gotten to that point or are you still reactive in an in instance instead of being proactive with that process? So um, previous lives that I've had, we had most certainly gotten to that point. Um, mm -hmm. And we also, you know, my team would have also been one of the approvers on a contract review for things yep. like audit clauses and all that good stuff um, and, and making sure that the right data was captured. But um, the, the company where I'm working at the moment, um, we've, we've got kind of a blend. So, um, I guess where the stakes are higher, um, where the companies are, you know, the spend is higher, you know, it's a more sure. dynamic environment. Those, um, I'm actually doing a lot of things to, I, I hesitate to say I'm leading the effort, but I'm certainly leading the things around organizing the counts and collecting the different data and, and um, being included in discussions around, you know, um, future plans for the software and things of where that might go so that we can kind of work out the best strategy for the contract that's being negotiated. Um, so, so, so those are there for those bigger ones, the smaller ones, um, the ones that aren't as strategic or aren't as um, volatile or as expensive, those we tend to just kind of capture the information. Sometimes we don't even know that somebody's doing that um, 
yeah. that transaction. And then we just kind of get the finalized transaction and we're like, oh, all right. And sometimes we could have helped and sometimes probably not, but you know, it's what's done is done and we move on. So we certainly have a mix um, in, in the company where I'm working now. Okay. Very good. So you've talked about other people a few times and, and quality of data from other parts of the, the business. Do you find that there's a piece of work, a skill set to getting those other people to care about the data as much as the SAM team does? Or are they usually kind of when you point out we need this for these reasons are they generally kind of you know quick to get on board with making changes that you need to their data sources so i think that varies and i think it varies i don't know i'm going to put on my shrink hat and say that that's varies by personality type or something i don't know because sometimes you know you'll reach out to an individual and they'll be really interested in it you know they they really care about um, being able to get people the end products that they need and they take a lot of pride in that and they really want to, um, you know, make those changes and, and make those improvements. Um, other times, maybe somebody's like that, but they're already overwhelmed. And so they're like, Jillian, that sounds marvelous and oh, that I wish it were, but gosh, I'm already working, you know, nutty number of hours every week and you're going to have to convince my leadership, you know, um, to make this project a priority, you know, cause I'm not the only one who can do it, or maybe I just don't have the bandwidth to do it. Um, and then there's some other folks that are like, well, we don't really see why that matters. And we, we kind of think that the impact of us changing will be greater than the, you know, the net impact of what it avoids later down the road. Um, and so, you know, you, you kind of run the gamut on those, you, you know, based on whatever situations you might find yourself in. And so, um, that's why I like having things like the dashboards because it just kind of takes away that, no, but I swear it'll be better. No, it, it's something concrete that you can show people that's objective. And I, that way, I think it's very eye-opening to folks because I mean, let's face it, everybody, I think everybody is trying to do a good job. I don't think anybody's trying to, you know, toss a bunch of things into a contract or an invoice and just cross your fingers and hope for the best, I think their intent is good. Um, and so I think if you can break that down into a factual objective view and say, you know, these things are great, but here's the pieces where it's inconsistent. And that's where, you know, hey, I've got some ideas of things that might help, or do you have ideas of, you know, how we could better capture this? And, you know, please, 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 I always beg people not to make it this adversarial kind of a thing. Because, you know, the SAM team really does just need to partner with so many different departments across the board and across the organization to be able to get all of their data points together. And, you know, downstream um, business units that utilize the SAM data, you know, FinOps and whatnot, um, you know, if you can, if you can kind of be able to kind of break those, I'm going to say language barriers, because, you know, people kind of all have their own jargon and they all have their own world in which they operate and they live and their view. And so if you can kind of get everybody to have this, a shared view and understanding, I just think that that makes it work so much better. And I think those objective um, data points certainly help. So 
right that, that makes a lot of sense so having the dashboards you know helps with with making you know, a clear message that, that everyone can can see and understand um so are there is there any um you know with with the data once you've got people kind of on board you know um is the next step then to start putting you know kind of dollar slash pound slash euro slash other currency values against things which are or aren't being done is that what helps turn it into a you know a business conversation with with senior leadership and, and budget holders so that certainly helps and that's one area that i've um that i have found that the sam program can often lend help in and so just as i mean a simple example on that um you know the cmdb systems they're constantly trying to get people, yes, it discovers certain things, but they're also trying to have people consistently keep certain, you know, data updated about the devices that they manage. And so, you know, people's compliance with that can vary. And so um, helping to drive that message and demonstrate that it is important and matters is really helpful. Um, sometimes they've already been able to do that on their own, but sometimes I, I found that Maybe, you know, certain business units aren't doing a good job of keeping their device, um, kind of their device purpose updated, you know, whether it's dev or test or standby or DR or whatnot. And of course, Sam isn't the only team that needs that information. There's a lot of teams that need that and it could make things a lot better in many areas to know that type of information. But sometimes people are like, well, I know what my devices are and, you know, why do I need to keep it updated in there? Um, and so being able to place a dollar value on things, um, can really change that conversation very quickly. Um, you know, products like, you know, Microsoft SQL and so many others, you know, you can avoid paying for, um, you know, standby licenses, or you can avoid paying for disaster recovery licenses or things that meet certain criteria. Dev and test can often be licensed with either a dev and test um, part number, or they could also sometimes be licensed by, you know, the, the named users on the developer side, um, instead of, you know, either a processor or core type of capacity measure. And so being able to say, well, if we, you know, by entering in all this data, you know, if we assume whatever, 20, 30, 40%, whatever you want to have in there that's applicable to your environment, if about 20% was dev and test and we could license it by the named users, it would save us X number of dollars. Um, then that can actually get people's eyebrows to kind of raise and say, oh, you, what, you're, you're speaking my language now. I love to save money. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things that we've done. And then there were some examples that we actually did do over the years and said, well, hey, if you do start to enter in that dev and test and so we actually did do kind of a before and after shot to show, hey, if we had licensed it without that information and just assumed them all to be production, we would have paid this much. But now that we've got the dev and test devices in there and we can license it differently with these couple of different um, part numbers, this is now the new total that we're paying. And you know, sometimes that's in the millions of dollars. And so it can really make a very big difference to a company to start to track those types of things. And so 
you know, the folks in the CMDB and, and elsewhere are quite happy often when you can help assign a dollar value to something that they already care about and they're trying to drive, but can't always get enough traction behind. Right. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so Robbie, you know, yeah. Gillian mentioned earlier about, you know, breaking the language barrier between the different yeah. teams. When it comes to ITAM talking to the business, you know, that common language tends to be money. Uh, you yeah. know, all, all executives understand that. Have you found it in your experience that, that talking about things, you know, converting or translating ITAM data into money is what helps Sam and ITAM programs be successful with, you know, executive buy-in and that kind of thing? Absolutely. And, and, and Jillian brought up a, a good point that it depends on, it's a personality thing sometimes. I mean, culturally it comes in organizationally, um, you know, some organizations are tougher on to get data than others. Some, um, you know, roles are, are, are a little bit more difficult. If, if you're running a center of excellence, like for SAP or for Oracle or a major vendor, a lot of times they're very protective of that data and they don't want to share that data. And it takes a long time to, to open them up and to get them to share that data with the um, SAM or the ITAM team. And typically we see if it's a top-down approach within an organization, meaning a high level says, hey, this is what we're going to do. We have a SAM program. We have an ITS management program. We're going to start doing this provide the data that's needed. It makes it a little bit easier if it's a bottom up, it makes it much more difficult because then they're asking questions and you have to explain everything. And, and from there, you're you're looking at what can you do for me? And then you have to put together that business case of saying, well, if I get this data, this is what I can do with it, or this is what I can provide back to you. And that's what they're all looking for, Rich is honestly a return on investment or cost savings. So the more you can provide on that. I mean, visibility is important, but it's not that important when it comes to what you might want to spend on the resources to do it or the tool in which you're using. So it's always going to come down to, look, we got to save money. How can you help me save money? What data do you need in order to save that money? And um, that's what typically when, when the data becomes available. Um, a lot of times some people are combative, right? They say, well, I did the contract. I understand the software. Don't worry. It's it's optimized. Right. And then you're almost afraid to look because, you know, you're going to find something and they're concerned that you're going to find something. So it, it comes down to personality and culturally, you know, organizational culture. I mean, by culturally, um, some organizations are just better at, at, at operating like that and, and having projects that are data driven and others struggle. Um, some industries struggle. You know, we have some government contracts which are very difficult to get data from for a number of reasons. And we have others that are regulatory, you know, where some data is not being available and it's needed for the ITAM person to do their job. So they're kind of handcuffed. Um, so having worked in the different industries, Jillian, you've probably seen that some are better than others um, at providing data. And that's what we see kind of as an industry as well. Um, some areas are just tougher to get data than others. And you either work around it or you find ways to get that data. I, I totally agree with you. And, and I think that's one of the things you mentioned, the leadership um, piece of top down, but I think that's kind of the way to the leadership's heart is through their wallet, you know? So, so if you can say, Absolutely. well, I, you know, I here here's an example of why this matters and here's the dollar values or here's the, the dollar risk that's associated with this, this type of thing. 
if I just had access to X or if I if we could just get people to consistently populate this field over here, you know, um, it's those types of things. And then, you know, cause then you can really look at it and say, well, you know, how, how many, how many man hours is it going to take to do this? Right. Or, or how many security approvals do I need to actually get this to them um, versus what's my return? Right. And a lot of times it really just comes down to that. And so if you can demonstrate the return, or demonstrate the risk that you're helping to manage um, and mitigate, then um, a lot of times that's what helps open those doors. Yeah, and, and exactly. It comes down to what can you provide? And I have a funny quick story. Um, I was just working with a customer yesterday and we were walking them through the ability to see usage of software on um, servers, right? And typically what they were doing is guessing and saying, hey, this business unit, you pay 30%, you pay 60, you pay. And the executives were getting very upset. They're like, no, my comp my organization doesn't use that much. And we showed them that there's there was the ability to see utilization per cost center. And the CIO, as soon as he saw that, he goes, we're doing chargebacks now based on this. Based on this data, we now are able to say this business unit is responsible for 30% of the cost, this one, this much. And it actually opened up his eyes to, to something he was unaware that he could you know, do or, or, or charge that way. So yeah, the more data you have, the more you can provide back to them. And it's all about how can you save them money, save them time, save them, you know, whatever it is in order for them to say, yes, this is the direction we're going. So absolutely lean, um, Senior leadership is is the most important piece to get involved in your organization. And the more senior leadership you can get involved, whether it's a CISO, whether it's the CIO, the IT department, the procurement, finance, you know, they all are willing to um, to save money, of course. And and if you can provide the means in which for them to do it, it becomes a much easier project for you moving forward. I I agree. And you know what? Sort of in in keeping with that saving money piece, I will say um, one of the things with kind of different places that I've been, um, you know, there's kind of a different appetite for onshore, offshore, or insourcing, outsourcing, or things like that. And um, the the company I've been working with most recently, they um, they had actually chosen to help um, kind of supplement the staff with the USU services, the managed services there. And so, um, so you know, I've had the pleasure of working with a number of individuals on the USU side, and they've helped with kind of creating some of these dashboards or having conversations with some of the technical folks who have really nitty gritty questions on, you know, where, when this data sends over, what field is this pulling from and the data that I sent you and, you know, how does that matter and how does that go through? Because I have, um, I have a fairly small staff and you know, not everybody's kind of um, has the skill set to be able to have those types of discussions. And so, it's been really helpful to be able to utilize the USU services because, to be honest, that's more cost effective than trying to staff those skill sets, which are not only hard to find in the industry. Um, you know, there's not that many plentiful people out there for for those skill sets, but it's also um, it's also costly. You know, to to be able to hire somebody with that type of level of SAM knowledge, and so. Um, so that's something that's that's also been helpful to me of being able to drive the program is being able to kind of get that staff aug um, and kind of kind of flex when I need to um, over to the USU resources. So that's been helpful too, and and it also helps to have those conversations with 
good data um, that I might not have the time to get pulled together with just me and a few members of my staff on, on our side. And, and that's uh, thank you for bringing that up. And, and I'm glad that you do use um, those services, because that's one thing that, you know, I, I particularly am kind of proud of, because the way that it's set up here at USU is we have specialists um, for particular vendors. So when you request, you know, assistance and let's say you're working on a particular data source or a particular vendor, the person that's helping you is a specialist in that vendor per se, and they've worked with 50, 100 other companies. So they're bringing such a broad knowledge that probably saves you time, saves you, you know, um, having to try and, like you said, find a resource that might have a background in that. So that those are very popular. We have a lot of customers that use those services and and they're good. And I'm glad to hear that you guys are using those. I wasn't sure if you were, but um, that's good because, you know, they're there, um, they're available and they're very good at what they do. Um, so yeah, that's a good, a good point because it's not as, it's not a, a broad generic approach, right? We don't have SAM professionals. We do, but most of them specialize in something, right? It's not like going to a big firm where, you know, they've worked with a hundred companies and they have a broad knowledge. They're usually specialists that, um, you know, get right to the point and say, Hey, I'll help you with your Oracle or your SAP or your Microsoft or whatever it is. And they're coming from like a little bit of a different um, standpoint, having done it for multiple companies, they know what to look for. And it saves a little bit of time and saves you guys some headaches. Yeah. And, and it's, it's been helpful to us just because to try to have, like I said, those skill sets hired paying the salaries for those skill sets to keep them interested and sticking around. And then also um, all the training that it takes, because we all know vendors love to change all their rules periodically and they, you know, have a lot of different things. So being able to kind of have um, the ability to kind of reach out and say, Hey, I need help on this specific thing has, has been really helpful. It's, it's ended up saving us money um, on the staffing and it's ended up um, helping us to, like I said, kind of stick to those data-driven discussions. That's a really interesting point, Gillian. And I think, you know, it's something that comes up quite often, this conversation of, you know, some people say that you should outsource everything. Other people say that you shouldn't outsource anything at all. And then most people are trying to work out where they are on that spectrum in between those two extremes. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's always useful for, for the ITAM review audience to hear from, you know, real world who are using third party services to, to expand and flex their teams as required. Um, so, so I think there will certainly be some people very interested in, in those comments there and you know like you say it's the ability to have expertise that you can use you know when you need it and then you don't have to pay for it anymore when you don't need it um so you know very very useful um i'll, I'll I, tell I, you what rich i'll, I'll make one point because i i've been in the industry for about 15 years and companies that do not use outside specialist or, or what they struggle they always do because they they just don't have the proper skill set um, broad enough and, and you lose people. Um, and Jillian, you're probably fully aware of this. You know, you, you train somebody up for two, three years and then they're gone. They go to another company and then they're there for two or three years and then they go to another one. And it's very hard to keep those. So those companies that I've seen struggle typically do not use any outside resources. And that's why they struggle, you know, and, and I, I think that's an important point to make is 
look for help because there is help out there. There's specialists out there that can save you time, save you money and save you headaches. And it's, it's usually not expensive and they can are usually very good at what they do if they're a specialist in a particular area. So, yeah. I would completely agree. And I've said to people before, you know, if you look around a business, there are plenty of things that are done by external organizations, you know, from you know, legal, tax advice, fleet management, whatever it might be. Um, you know, very few other parts of a business are expected to do every single thing internally. Um, and I think... I, you know, iTime is no different. So completely agree with you there. Um, and I guess on that kind of augmenting the team, talking about third party services, given that we're in, you know, time of recording, we're coming up to the end of 2023. We are perhaps at the peak of the AI hype cycle. Um, is there a place for AI to assist in this world of you know, cleaning data, gathering data, um, you know, getting multiple things into one place. Do, does AI and or automation um, have a role to play in, in helping ITAM move into, you know, 2024 in that re respect? So, I mean, I, I think so. Um, I, I think it would take some thought to kind of go through and, and, come up with the different examples, but I know, I know one of the things we're doing, it's not exactly AI, but I mean, perhaps it will end up having some elements of that, but, you know, we're just kind of trying to go through some of our um, procurement data gathering processes, because, you know, we're trying to pull information out of our AP systems and our procurement systems and on the contractual pieces and cross-reference those with a lot of different data points and just being able to automate that and, you know, have it kind of go through, the initial manipulations would end up saving my team some time. And so we're currently going through and doing that analysis to help to automate that. Um, but I know, I know USU is actually doing some things, which Robbie, I'm sure you could talk about more than I, I just know that there was a really interesting um, invoice review uh, AI system that we, we helped to just kind of review. It was just kind of demoed to us so that we could kind of play around it a little bit and kind of ask some questions and, and provide some feedback. So um, that was a while ago, though. So I'm sure you could talk more about that. But what I saw, that looked really intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yes, AI can play a significant role in IT asset management. It really can because it can be used to automate and optimize various processes. If you think about it, AI is is really helps improve processes and ITS and management is a process driven data driven activity so it fits like a glove and um yes Jillian we do have a product for um uh, that uses AI for invoice um, additions to the tool where it analyzes any form, whether it's PDF, it could be a, a screenshot um, and it learns and it picks out the data elements that are needed in order to populate the invoice import. Um, so yes, it is learning on that. We also are using it in our catalog. Um, so catalog recognition. So as software comes in, we have an AI element that um, because it does it across multiple regions, multiple companies, multiple data sources, it learns how to identify and tag software. 
Um, it's also used in cost optimization. It can analyze usage patterns and suggest cost savings measurements. That's not built yet, but that's what we're looking to do um, and really identify underutilized software or things that aren't being utilized at the right um, standpoint. It's being used a lot in cloud. So we're building out our cloud product because it can analyze usage patterns and then understand if there's a better option based on your utilization. Um, so as utilization comes into the, the, the forefront when you're moving to cloud and it gets away from a one-to-one -one license usage type and it goes more towards a consumption-based or a subscription model, AI can do a lot more because there it knows the different options that are available and can start to analyze and think about what we do as professionals. We look at the data and we say, well, this can go to a reserve instance instead of this one. Well, AI can probably determine that much quicker than we can with that a data analysis and reporting. So AI is a huge part of IT asset management. And we have other products that use it. We have one that uses the natural language processing and the chat GPT in our knowledge management solution. So Absolutely, um, AI will play a role in not only IT asset management, but a lot of the software we're going to see coming out in the coming years. Absolutely. Yeah, and and I'll just do my, I don't know, my little response for people who might have heard that and gotten terribly frightened. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, for me, I look at those things and I don't think that it's going to enable anybody to let go any of my staff or to, you know, have anybody whose job is in jeopardy because of it. It's just, you know, in my experience on the SAM side, it is so heavily data-driven and so process-intensive, and it does cross over so many different things and has such specialized knowledge. Um, and to your earlier point, it is difficult to find those skill sets and to keep them onboarded and things. So, you know, where we can help um, utilize those types of technology to be able to ease the time burden on people um, to really kind of free them up to do that more, you know, exactly responding to the analysis and that explaining it to the business and helping to drive those types of projects to maybe, hey, here's our optimization options. Now let's have some discussions around, Correct. you know, what we might want to do with those and things like that. So I personally think it's really um, non-threatening and very exciting and interesting because I feel like that would just free up so much time if me and my folks didn't have to do some of the things that we have to do these days. So Correct. It makes you more of a strategic role rather than just a data analyst role, really. Yeah. And that's where it'll shift. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Definitely. And, you know, the things that we hear time and time again at ITAM Review, you know, people don't have enough time mm -hmm. and ITAM isn't considered a strategic as we all know it can be. So, you know, based on what you've both said there, you know, AI will will hopefully, you know, if implemented correctly, used correctly, will enable us to to some degree solve both of those problems because giving people giving humans more time will enable them to uh, you know present ITAM as more strategic. So I, I completely agree that it, it's a positive thing. And, I, you know, I would say taking it back almost to the, the start of the podcast, any organization who wants to implement AI to, to do this or many other things, you know, it's going to be absolutely critical that the data you currently have is as complete as possible, is clean, is trustworthy. Because if you give AI bad data, Correct. it will 
you know, it, it will only make whatever problem exists, <laughs> you know, a, a million times worse very quickly. Yeah, so, I was just say automation can sometimes, it doesn't fix problems. It just makes nope. a really big mess really fast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Garbage in, garbage out. It's the same, even if you use AI, right? It's, yeah. you're going to, yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, so all those things that, that you talked about at the start, Jillian, around, you know, the the different data points and working with people to get the data as complete as possible, dashboards to enable people to, to see what's happening. Having all that in place is, is fundamental to being able to, to kind of kick on to the next level and use AI and automation. So hopefully, you know, what, what people are taking from, from this is that, you know, data, very important in, you know, I'm sure in most cases we're, you know, preaching to the choir, but it would be fantastic if, you know, if you can get this podcast in front of some of your other stakeholders and help them understand how important data is, I think that would be useful for, for people listening. Um, so you know, data is important. It it underpins everything that we're doing now, and will continue to do so in the future. Um, uh, and you know, using third parties and uh, and tools to to help you do that as efficiently as possible is probably the way forward for most people. Um, so so I guess you know final thoughts from from each of you this is always the the bit where I put people on the spot somewhat um as we're kind of wrapping up you know uh Gillian I'll come to you first what would be your if someone was going to take one thing away from today's conversation what would it be um you know you did put me on the spot a little bit there so um I I don't know I think I think while this maybe sounds a bit high level, um, I think by, by it kind of has to be, but, um, you know, the identifying, ha having a person who can look at, you know, the data that is available and being able to apply that SAM lens and facilitate the discussions and do some monitoring to kind of keep up with those things ongoing to really help drive those data improvements um, that I think is a is a crucial part to being able to establish and keep your SAM program going, because you know one of the first things that people will do when you ask them, hey, can you look at this and see if this is you know do you approve to move forward with this or here's our audit data and sign off on this for us. As soon as they see a, a hole that they can poke through, they won't even hardly look at the rest of it. Oh well, that piece isn't right. We can't we can't use it. You know, um, and so. You know, and and to the other other points, a lot of the strategic pieces of SAM, you know, are are it's a linchpin to be able to have certain data elements to be able to calculate those optimization opportunities. So, you know, if you don't have those data elements and somebody who's able to understand that and explain it to folks, it just kind of leaves a theoretical discussion. And I feel like those really can't ever get any traction behind them in a company. So I feel like, you know having identifying your critical data elements and really having somebody who can help bridge those language gaps and um explain the reasons why it matters and help facilitate that across the company is the is a very important piece awesome i like that very very good final takeaway there Gillian. uh robbie your your final thoughts 
so I get the same question. Okay, I wasn't sure if I was going to get the same one or you're going to throw a different one at me. So yeah, takeaways. Um, so I, I would say two different areas. So one, if you're just looking to start an IT asset management program, same program, I would say make sure you have leadership buy-in on what you will be able to provide to them, um, what your program will be able to do for cost savings, cost optimization, visual, visual eh, visibility. Um, and if you are already running a SAM and IT asset management program, I would say make yourself visible, right? Understand what you can do with that data and start working with different groups to prove that value and start to become a strategic partner with those different departments because they'll start to come to you for data because they know your data is better or you can provide them a view that can easily save them money or show where they can save money or show how they can, because I can guarantee every department has an initiative to cut their costs. And if you can be the person that can provide that information to them, you're far more powerful than anyone else in the organization because you have the data that can help them save that money and they're going to come to you. Um, so I would say those are the two things. Understand your data, learn how to use it, learn how to optimize it and save money with the data you have. And if you don't have the appropriate data, learn who to speak to to get that so that you can then take it to the next level. 100% agree. And I think, you know, the one thing that I would add, once you've got your data and you, and you understand it, you know, there will be other parts of the business that you can support. It might be sustainability, for example. You know, if you've got a chief sustainability officer, you will have all kinds of data that will help them get a head start on their goals and initiatives so once you have the data you know looking around the business and saying right who else can i help you know i'm helping people save money over here what else can can we do with this and and to to your point robbie you know that just makes you more and more invaluable to the business um so i i think yeah having the data and and then then you can work out what to do with it um to to expand the the remit you know once you've done that piece um so so yeah so so thank you both i feel you talk about this for at least another 6 or 7 hours um <laughs> but we yeah i don't even know what the the maximum podcast length on spotify is um, so we should we should probably um, sort of wrap it up about now. Uh, so so thank you to, to both of you, Gillian and Robbie. It's been wonderful speaking to you both as always, and I think some really useful insights and, and real world um, bits and pieces there that people will will understand and will be able to to take back into the business, you know, and, and do something with. Hopefully, it will inspire people to to get their data uh, even more under control than it already is um you know if any of you you listening if you have questions on anything that we've said or anything that we've not said uh, you know feel free to get in touch with me at item review uh, i'm sure Robbie and Gillian, you know if, if you're connected with them on linkedin for example i'm sure they won't mind um you, you getting in touch with them and um and yeah thank you both thank you everyone for for listening and um yeah look forward to the next podcast webinar in-person conference where we can all all talk again so thank you both for, for all your help today well thank, thank you, you. it's a pleasure thank you jillian appreciate it 
thank you all very much. And everyone listening, I will see you on the next one. Thank you very much. Bye.